Welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a podcast all about the world's best football team, Aston Villa. In the second of our All Villains series, Roisin and I spoke to Hannah Pinnock, a freelance journalist who has covered the Villa women's team this season. After investing big at the start of the season, the side has struggled to find form in the Women's Super League. We asked Hannah what's happened to the team this season. Yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster season, I would say. Um, you know, the the jump from the championship to the to the women's super league is quite a big one. Um, so it was always going to be a big challenge, I think, particularly for such a young squad and a young coaching staff. Um, you know, they sort of kicked off the campaign with a defeat to Manchester City, and that sort of lays down the marker of welcome to the women's super league. Um, there's been a few, you know, positive results here and there. I mean, they got their first win against Brighton back in November. There was a bigger win against Bristol City in December away from home. That was 4-0. Um, and then more recently, the big one was 1-0 over Tottenham. A brilliant goal from Mane Obuchi to earn them that. Um, but other than that, you know, a few glimpses of of what they're capable of. It has been... A real challenge and in some respects I think results haven't been necessarily reflective of the performance if that makes sense so the performances have been there particularly since Marcus um, Big Knot came in in January um, to sort of steady things a little bit and bring in a bit more experience um, you know the performances have improved but they've had a bit of a horrible run um, of fixtures in terms of playing a lot of the bigger teams Um, and obviously when you're coming up against teams like Chelsea like Manchester City like Arsenal um, Mm, yeah they are very very tough games had quite a few of those so (laughs) Mm, they're kind of the stalwarts of, of that league really it's interesting with the kind of growing women's game there are a few names we know including Blues who invested very early on in the women's game and, and they've been getting that experience. Is it just a case of us kind of trying to stay up and, and understand that league and, and get that experience? Do we have the talent there? Yeah, I mean, Villa have got a very good squad and, you know, the fact that they have been able to attract players like Mana Iribucci, I mean, you know, she's World Cup winner, um, you know, when she was a teenager. She's played for Bayern Munich, won titles with them. Um, so the fact that you know Villa were able to attract a player of her calibre. I mean, Arsenal wanted her not too long ago. Um, so I think if that speaks of her quality, you know, I, th- I think you know the attractions there, and you know, ultimately, you know, Villa are a big historic Premier League team. Um, you know, so in terms of investment, um, you know, it, it's difficult to do. I'd say what Man United have done. Um, you know, they only formed. Um, a few seasons ago they started in the championship but even then they were bringing in you know England internationals and you know taking players I mean they took quite a few of Liverpool Liverpool's players um, which <laughs> was frustrating well, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I mean for, for a team like Man United players were willing to leave you know Liverpool in the Women's Super League to go into the championship to play for Man United so mm. that is what is possible when you know you throw a lot of money at it and I think that's what a lot of women's teams need to do it needs investment ultimately and a lot of it as well is you know facilities you know I'm pretty sure Villa do train um 
where the men's team train, which you can't say that for a lot of football clubs. I mean, Liverpool don't share their facilities. Um, <clears throat> obviously, a lot's come out in recent days about Birmingham City and, and the discontent yeah, you know, with, their, with, their, with their board. Um, you know, so a lot of a lot of clubs aren't really really doing it. They're not investing what they need to. But um, you know, there's there's definitely foundations there with Villa, and they are building something. Whether or not you know they'll be able to quite compete with the likes of Chelsea, who have been doing it for for years. Um, it, it takes a long time to to build, and you know the investment started. It's just that the club need to carry on with it, even if they do potentially get relegated this season. Yeah, I was gonna. I think you've just answered my question. <laughs> I was gonna say, Frankie and I were kind of talking um, earlier about our owners, the investment that they seem to be willing to put into to both the men's game, the academy, um, the the women's team, and and the kind of it seems they've picked up on something you said about Villa being a big team and Villa being the, a big name like your Man U's and your Liverpool's. Granted, we haven't had similar success in, you know, in recent decades. Um, but as I say, I think you've just answered my question. Um, I was going to ask if that was enough. Is that enough? Um, mm-hmm. Having that name and having that money, can we get there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's working, you know, to a certain extent, even at the moment. Um, but I think you've not to bring keep bringing Liverpool into it but I think they're a good example of a club that one of the biggest clubs in the world yet they're playing in the championship and um, even when they were in the women's super league it it didn't take a lot for for other clubs to to take our players um, simply because it's not just about throwing money at it or anything like that the environment that I think clubs create for their women's team you know I think the women's teams need to feel valued they need to feel like they're part of the club they need to be treated like equals in in that regard um otherwise players will will look for that sort of environment elsewhere yeah I mean it's it is interesting that some teams wouldn't necessarily invest in it as heavily because as we were saying I was saying to Rasheen just before so when you look at like Man City and you see their women's team or Chelsea, um, it makes the club look elite. You know, they've invested in the women's game, the youth game, everyone. It looks inclusive, you know, regardless of what you might think of the owners. It's, it, that's the image it portrays. And so if Aston Villa can do the same, it's got to be a good thing for Villa. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Villa are one of the clubs that I would regard as, as one that does do what they can. Obviously, it's, it's difficult, I think. It's quite a fine line. You don't want to keep praising the basics. Of, yeah. It's like, yes, like as you should, you should back your women's team. Um, but when you do see the situation at other clubs and, you know, it is a little bit ridiculous in a way when you look at, you know, because the, the Women's Super League, obviously it's the way that women's football's developed over time. But, um, you know, the, the Women's Super League isn't quite as reflective of, of the Premier League in terms of you've got... I mean, Southampton, you know, they play in the same league as Cheltenham Town ladies, which is my local team. Um, Mm. And, you know, Wolves aren't in the championship and, you know, you regard them as a big Premier League team with quite a bit of money. Um, So, yes, it's it's just about long-term investment and and building up. And I think Villa, Villa are doing... A good job of it um they've just got to keep that going well with, yeah. with regards to aston villa you know we we brought in marcus big um i think around january 
every time. Yeah. Um, has he made much of a difference? And do you think the club can survive in the Super League this season? Obviously, I mean, Gemma's a fantastic coach. She's yeah. know, the reason, you know, Villa Gemma Davis. It. Yeah, Gemma. Yeah. Um, she's the reason they made it to the to the women's super league, but it is a young coaching staff and it's quite a young squad in in the grand scheme of things. So it was always going to be a challenge. And I think bringing Marcus in, you know, he's an experienced coach. You know, he's had experience at Birmingham City in the past, so he's got women's football experience and he's he knows the league well. Um, and I think there has been a shift. I mean, there was a period, um, particularly from the start of this year um, where Villa were conceding really early in games within a few minutes I mean the 7-0 against Man City back in January it it was an early goal and then you know City went on to score another six and you know it was a bit of a (laughs) that's not just in the women's game (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it was it was a bit of an issue that needed to be fixed and I think Marcus has done that quite well um they're willing to keep, you know, they're able to keep teams out. Even in the defeat against Arsenal, it took Arsenal until the second half to really get going in that game and actually be able to break Villa down. So um, one of the biggest things that Marcus talks about is doing the basics better, the basics of football better. Um, and I think that that's working. I think, like I sort of touched on earlier, you know, the performances have been there, just the results haven't. Um, and I think that is in part, due to the sort of games that they've had um, <clears throat> in terms of coming up against you know, the likes of Chelsea. I mean, they've played Chelsea home and away um, since the turn of the year. They've had Man United, they've had Everton you know, at the weekend. So it's been a tough run. Um, but in terms of their chances of staying up, I mean, I, I felt like since you know before Christmas, I thought Villa would be safe. But there's been a few changes at other clubs. I mean, initially it looked like Bristol City um, were the ones that were going to go down. Um, but since they've brought in Matt Baird as interim manager whilst their manager's on maternity leave, he's turned things around and they look a different team. So the teams around them have gotten better. So it's sort of dragged Villa back into it because there was a brief spell where they looked like they might be safe and now it's all thrown everything up again. But in terms of their last sort of five games of the season, um, they've got, Arsenal um, away as their last game but before then they've still got to play West Ham home and away they've got to play Bristol City at home um, and they've got Birmingham City away as well so that's all teams that are in and around them in the relegation zone so there's quite a few games there that are literal six pointers they've got to do well in that run um, before they they face Arsenal on the last day of the season. I mean, yeah, we'll be wishing the uh, the girls all the best luck to stay up this season, of course. Um, but if, you know, they do go down, um, would that potentially be a setback considering that I know the Women's Super League has a big, potentially um, culturally important um, TV deal coming in with uh, BBC and Sky next season? Would it be would it be a big setback if, whether, if the team were to miss out on that, do you think? It would definitely feel like a few steps backwards given the progress that's been made um and in terms of the women you know the tv deal like you said is is massive for the women's game in terms of what it will do um financially it it's probably bigger for the team teams like villa than it is you know for chelsea i think in terms of the money that that the clubs will get from it um in in the women's super league i think it barely covers Chelsea's wage bill. So, um, 
but in terms of the exposure of the women's game it's important and you know if in term when it comes to attracting players as well if you know you're playing and the players know that you know the games are going to be broadcast into a wider audience on things you know like sky and the bbc um that in itself makes the clubs more attractive to players um but I don't, I don't think it will necessarily be the beginning of the end or anything like that for Villa. I don't think it will be too devastating in the sense of I do think there's good foundations there that they've they've built um, in the last couple of years. So I don't think it will be quite as bad as it's been for Liverpool getting relegated because ultimately the investment from Liverpool and the backing from the club wasn't necessarily there. Um but at Villa, I think it is. And I do think, you know, I'd like to hope that the club would continue to back the women's team, even if they do get relegated and make it their sole priority to come back up and then stay up. And regarding the the deals, do you think the support is out there for a, a TV deal like that? Do you think there's a hunger for the, for the women's game in, in wider society? I, I do think there is. I mean, it's sort of a lot of it does stem from the Women's World Cup back in 2019 the tv audiences for that were were massive um and i think the biggest issue that i've had with watching women's football i mean particularly during the pandemic when you sort of can't go to games um unless you're covering them um is you know the fa player in terms of the quality of the broadcast it's not it's not been great. The streams are not that reliable and it can be a bit laggy and some of them don't always work. And I mean, the the idea is great in terms of making all the women's football free to air, you know, and stream it um, all over the world. Um, But you only have to look at, compare it to the coverage that, you know, there's been a couple of games on BT Sport. I mean, BT Sport have been a fantastic advocate of the women's game and I'm a little bit gutted Mm. for them in the sense that they don't have the rights to the games anymore because they've they've backed the women's game when no one else would really um but in terms of the quality of the broadcast when you watch a women's game on you know because villa's game against chelsea was shown on bt sport um a couple of weeks ago um and just in terms of having you know broadcasters there pundits there talking about the game you know even just having simple things like replays and different camera angles it adds to it and it brings you know, a more enjoyable viewing experience that you don't get on the FA player. Um, And in terms of bringing in a wider audience, because in terms of the FA player, you already sort of have to be a fan of women's football to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to go on online and watch that game. Whereas with Sky and the BBC, in terms of promoting it, um, even, you know, some promotion that they've done already when they announced it, you know, some of the videos that sky produced it it gets you excited for it and Mm, you know the advertisement will be there and i think it will bring in a wider audience definitely i mean it's interesting for me i mean i'm like uh sort of distantly related to karen carney who's uh you know very well known uh england birmingham city chelsea footballer so you know i've i've kind of followed her career trajectory quite closely since around 2003 ish four and it always felt like the women's game would only ever get exposure whenever there was a tournament on so you'd have like the england team would get shown on bbc and then like two years of just uh, where, where is it you know um mm. and then two years later another tournament you're like oh there, there it is again whereas in con- contrast to like say the united states where the women's game is so huge and in canada the same thing um do you feel like in a way like are you hopeful that 
now with more exposure, now it being on the BBC or, or on Sky or, or, you know, with better packaging, essentially, that we're going to see a growth in the number of supporters and young supporters this year. And over time, that might lead to bigger revenues, bigger crowds. Um, do you think this really could be a transformational moment for, for, for women's football? I definitely hope so. I mean, one of the biggest sort of counter arguments for like, you know, broadcasting the women's game as much as like, well, if people can watch it at home, are they going to want to go out and watch it in the grounds? And, mm. you know, it's an interesting debate. And um, I think, if, if anything, I've sort of felt like, you know, with men's football this season in the pandemic and it all being behind closed doors, it's not as enjoyable to watch. It's not the same, you know, yeah. watching, you know, I can imagine watching Villa play or, you know, watching your team play. I, I mean, I'll watch it when it's my team and I want to support them. But other than that, I don't find myself watching as much football as a neutral than, than I normally would. Like normally I would switch on Monday Night Football. could be Palace against Wolves and, and I'd still watch it because it's enjoyable to watch. Whereas this season with there being no fans, I think I do think that, you know, you're sort of seeing why women's football struggles so much in to a certain extent because, you know, there's no you know, the crowds are a lot less. So it sort of impacts on the whole experience of the game. Like some of the best women's games that I've watched, um, I covered um, the Lionesses friendly against Germany when they played it at Wembley. Oh, I went to that. That was brilliant. That was sold yeah. out, wasn't it? It, it? it was sold. I mean, it wasn't quite packed out, but it was a crowd of over 70,000. Yeah, it was. And, and actually for me as a fan to see little boys sitting there, you think, oh, they're going to grow up and think this is normal. Yeah. I thought... Okay. Exactly, and and it's just you know games like that. The quality on the pitch, it, it just feels better. The sense of occasion and everything, and and you know I did a North London derby at Spurs Stadium. It wasn't again. It wasn't quite packed out, but um, you know there was a huge crowd there. And you know earlier last season, the Manchester derby was at the Etihad, um, and that was you know quite a big crowd. And you do feel like you know when there are crowds there it it makes you know the game better you know the atmosphere is better and um you know it definitely adds something so um in terms of women's football as, as great as it is that the tv deals are there and I do think that that will make a big difference um you sort of do have to then equate that to ticket sales obviously when things go back to normal and we can actually go back to games um but you sort of do the crowds need to be there as much as you want people watching it on TV. I think you're right. It was interesting what you say about young boys being at the Lionesses game. Um, and I know Atletico Madrid had a big sellout game at their huge stadium as well, you know, not that long ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, me growing up, all I ever saw was like men's football. And um, even if you think back to the nineties, there's a very fa- infamous clip on YouTube of the two leading football broadcasters at the time, Andy Gray and Richard Keyes, laughing at women's football, like just laughing. Um, so oh, I had to join the boys team. You look yeah. at, I look at women now my age who've just gone through their career, you know, someone like Alex Scott. And I think, well, well done because, yeah. you know, there wasn't even a girls team when we were younger, um, you know, and just to, to see how that shifted, see that not only will there be girls teams where they can actually play, um, and not have to kind of, you know, win man of the match um, and upset, you know, 10 boys. Um, but that they'll actually see young boys and girls alike will see something at the highest level sold out is 
it, I mean, it's quite transformational, even though there mm. is still a, a, a real long way to go. Somewhat hilariously, I was actually in the youth team that Roisin played for, but she was in a younger age group. So I remember <laughs> it being a big thing that there was a girl playing in the younger age groups. <laughs> And she was actually better than everyone else. So, um, like it was, uh, that, that's one of my earliest memories. Um, and that, but that shows, you know, how much it sticks out. Um, I'm only 21, but I, I played in a boys' team when I was, I was younger too. Um, yeah, I, I got bullied by all the boys, and it made me want to quit. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely massive. And you know, um, the pro, the progressive women's football has been there for quite a while. I, I think. If anything, people, I think, not that the expectations need to be lowered, but I think people need to sort of stop comparing it to the men's game and, and sort of saying like, oh, well, the quality is not as good. Well, it's just like, well, obviously it's not going to be as good because men's football's had the backing. It's had the progression. It's, it's been growing for, for centuries, centuries. <laughs> centuries yeah. literally. Yeah. Whereas, you know, women's football arguably is sort of, in its infancy of that and obviously it's not going to be at that level yet so people need to stop expecting it to be and just to let it grow um but also it continue backing it and and giving it the chance that it deserves all villa no filler on twitter facebook and instagram yeah i mean with your own background so it's clear that you've grown up a football fan and you said you're you're a Liverpool fan, so uh, this weekend will be a bit, be an interesting one, I think, for, for oh. you. We're looking, we're looking lose eight two. Yeah, hopefully, it won't be like the last one <laughs> she's in advance. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I guess, like with regards to sports broadcasting yourself, you know, um, is is sports broadcasting something you now you want to get further into? And um, I guess when you look at the last kind of five to six years, we've seen much more preeminence and prominence given to female um experts you know with Alex Scott a good example of that is that is that something you want to go further into mm, well I'm currently in my final year of a sports journalism degree so um working within the sports media is definitely something that I want to do and you know I've done quite a bit you know you know I cover a lot of men's football um but one of the big things that I've really focused on during my degree is women's football um largely as well because you know the opportunity like you know I was a second year student in the press box at Wembley covering the Lionesses um and I had the opportunity last last year as well to interview Phil Neville um when they were sort of it was a sort of press event marking 500 days until the women's Euros obviously Covid sort of ruined that but um you know it was an opportunity to sit down and, and speak to Phil Neville which um as, as a second year university student was a bit surreal so I think that the opportunities for young journalists in women's football I think is it's a lot more accessible um which is why I do think um you do see a lot more students in in women's football than maybe you do in men's football does it make a difference to you seeing someone like Alex Scott in a hugely male-dominated environment Absolutely. I mean, I'm doing my final year project um, at university, sort of looking at um, how the experiences of females working in the sports media has sort of changed over time. And I've spoken to to journalists like Jackie Oatley, who, you know, she was the first female commentator on Match of the Day. And, and she sort of spoke about how 
how difficult it was sort of being the first because the whole media sort of palaver was made out of it lots of um you know coverage of it and it was a big deal at the time um and obviously for a lot of the women that have been working in the industry for a long time they didn't have what I have as a student now which I have um you know so many female reporters that I look up to you know I've um you know spoken a lot with um Melissa Reddy um who's oh yeah um Melissa Reddy she she between does between the lines or something yeah, she does a Between the Lines podcast, um, yeah. but she's also a senior football correspondent for The Independent, um, and she does a lot of broadcast stuff. You know, when Sunday Supplement was a thing, she did a lot on that, um, and she's brilliant, and, you know, she's given me opportunities in the past. You know, I went with her to cover a game at Anfield in my first year of university, um, which was surreal, and you've got a lot of women that want to help and encourage more young girls to get involved, um, and definitely increase the amount of of females doing courses like I am at university I mean in my year group there's about four or five of us that are girls out of about 30 to 40 people but in the year below me there's only it's it's a smaller year group but there's only one girl um so I mean I feel so sorry for her (laughs) but you know it's changing and we've got more females to look up to but I do still think there's some way to go which is sort of what my final year project's looking at really um you know what we need to do to encourage more girls to pursue a career in the sports media you're listening to all villains a special series about the different communities aston villa works with if you have any thoughts on the villa women's team and the women's game you can email us at allvillanofilla at gmail.com or find us on twitter facebook or instagram Welcome back to All Villa, No Filler. And now it's time for this. The Perfect Eleven. It's the Perfect Eleven. Now this is a feature where we've built our best ever Aston Villa first eleven. This week, as Hannah's not a Villa fan, I don't know quite how she got on the podcast, but <laughs> we'll let her in anyway. Um, she is a, a women's football expert, though. Um, so this week, we've got a special edition where Hannah's going to pick some of her favourite women's players. Hannah, who would you pick in your perfect eleven? Oh, um, Goalkeeper-wise... Um... I'm going to try not to use too much of a recency bias and, and players, obviously, that I, I watch at the moment. Um, goalkeeper, I'll probably go Rachel Bramfinis. Um, I mean, she played for Everton um, before she retired, but she did used to play for Liverpool. Um, and she's a good pundit as well. So um, I'll go for her. Um, right back, easily Lucy Bronze. Um yeah, she's absolutely sensational and, and one of England's best players. Um, two yeah, centre backs. Um, Steph I'm Horton. with this knowledge. You're just uh, <laughs> whipping them out here. <laughs> Steph Horton, for me, um, has got to be in there. Yeah. Um, Bit of a legend, think, isn't she? Yeah, for, for England. I'm going to try not to be too England, so my other centre half. I'll go for Wendy Renard because, um, I mean, a lot of people, they call her the the female 
Virgil Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was she was sensational at the for France at the Women's World Cup um, in twenty nineteen. So I'll go for her. Left back's a tough one. Um, maybe I'm going to end up sticking with England again, but maybe someone like Demi Stokes. I mean, I have put you on the spot, so if you can't fill <laughs> every single position straight away, don't worry about it. Um, midfield, I want to put Juliet's in there. Um, I mean, I, I don't. Again, the I mean, the USA are one of the best women's teams. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll definitely put Juliet's in there. I think she's absolutely incredible. Um, Jill Scott for me is is. I try not to be too England biased. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we are completely Aston Villa biased on our podcast. <laughs> Jill, Jill Scott's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic midfielder. I mean, I am a Liverpool fan, so I kind of do want to, even though they play in the Championship, I will say that one of Liverpool's shining lights in a couple of seasons that have been absolutely woeful has been Rachel Furness. Um, she's pretty much dragged Liverpool um she, she probably won't stay next season um because we're not doing too well you <laughs> can like a true football <laughs> fan yeah <laughs> but um she's been one of Liverpool's best players so I'll put Rachel Furness in there forwards is difficult because there's so many but Sam Kerr um Chelsea forward um she's incredible Vivian Miedemar not much needs to be said about just how incredible um she is um and i want to put frank herbie in there as well because i mean chelsea have been incredible yeah. to what this season and if you've got i mean the the link up play and the relationship that frank um frank herbie and sam care have is one of the main reasons why chelsea are doing so well this season so if, if i'm going to put sam care in there i want to put frank herbie in there as well and just quickly who are you putting as manager in your perfect eleven? It's got to be Emma Hayes. It's got to be okay. Emma Hayes. Absolutely. Nice. nice. Wow. Um, I mean, just with regards to the England women's team, I know they've got a new manager coming in, the D- former Dutch manager, Serena Weigman. But, uh, I, you know, I covered the Women's World Cup and I know the Netherlands were a very good side. Are you hopeful that Serena can make a big difference for the England women's team going forward? Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of criticism during Phil Phil Neville's tenure as manager um so it's a bit of a breath of fresh air almost and and an an opportunity for England to sort of um move forward um because you know there's some big tournaments coming up obviously the Olympics um but that's more team GB than it is um just England but obviously the Euros as well um, which is a home tournament for England, um, which we want to do really well in. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a hopeful. And to be fair, in terms of the growth of women's football, um, the success of the the Lionesses will be paramount in that because one of the main reasons why the US women's national teams is is more famous and more well known than the men's is because of how successful they are. They win tournaments and obviously supporters will get behind you if you're winning um so success from the lionesses will only serve to grow the women's game in this country even more so before before we sort of wrap this up uh, one question i do have to ask you uh, i know villa are not performing very well in the league at the moment but do you have a player of the season 
so far is there, is there any and is there anyone that we should be looking out for for the future do you think um obviously i mean the standout answer even though she's only been here since january is mana um Iribuchi. she's just i remember the first time you know i watched her um like in person it was her first she'd come off the bench against man city um in the previous game but she made her full debut um in a two-all draw against reading and um she's just you, you can tell she's just such a quality player and she she's the sort of player that when something special happens it sort of comes through her her hold-up play is brilliant um which is sort of especially against the bigger teams I think it's definitely helped because obviously when you're playing against the likes of Chelsea and, and they can sort of when you want to push forward and you want to get forward yourself, you know, they can nick the ball off you and, and suddenly you're vulnerable and you're on the counter-attack. So having someone like Manor that can hold the ball up and keep possession and actually create something, um, I think has definitely helped Villa. I mean, I, I, I don't know too much about her contract situation or, um, you know, the length of it or, you know, that not. I haven't really seen anything of that, but um, she is an important player that you'd, want to really keep a hold of um but in terms of the squad as well I've you know been impressed with Jodie Hutton in recent weeks I think in terms of a player that leaves everything on the pitch and just gives it absolutely everything um she's definitely up there um but yeah in terms of Manor would be the standout one and she's only been there for half a season so I think that's testament to just how good she actually is um but yes progress is being made and hopefully hopefully in the coming weeks can start to pick up a few results and, and solidify their spot in in the WSL next season. Okay, just before we go, Hannah, would you like to let our listeners know where they can find your work and your profiles online? Yes, yeah, so um, I'm at Hannah underscore Pinnock on Twitter. Um, I, I think it was mentioned earlier, but I cover Villa Women for 7,500 to Holt. I'm pretty much at all their home games. Um, and I did do an interview with Nadine Hansen. Um, so that's pinned on my profile if you want to have a read of that. Um, it's just sort of reflecting on Villa's last year and sort of getting promoted in the middle of a pandemic and sort of how they've adapted to the league. Um, so feel free to have a read of that. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just do a lot of stuff with women's football um, and I tweet a bit about Formula One as well. Excellent. Strongly recommend following you. You're, um, you're very knowledgeable about this, the game. It's, it's, been, it's been great talking to you. So, uh, thank you. yeah, thank thank you for coming on. And uh, it's goodbye to you too, Roisin. Bye, Frankie. Up the villa. And goodbye from me. And as ever, come on, Super Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs>